Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, all right. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Generosity. You guys excited? I know you are because this is who you are, and I'm really excited to dig into this brand new series. Hey, real quick, if you're a first-time guest with us, whether online or in person, just want to say we are genuinely glad and grateful that you are here. It's a joy to have you. I just need you to know this. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are. So that means no matter where you're walking in, our desire is simply to meet you where you are and help you take whatever appropriate next step that might be. So it's genuinely, genuinely an honor to, uh, to have you here. Did you guys enjoy that video? It was good, right? Made it myself. You're welcome. No, I didn't. You can, you can check that out on thebibleproject.com. Those guys are crushing it. There's about four more minutes to that video. It's a really, really great video. You can check out on your own time. But as we kick off this series, this is really intentional, really excited about where we're going in the fall. And one of our values is radical generosity. And it's not just a money conversation. This is time, energy, resources. Not, not just in, in order to, you know, I don't know where you come from background-wise when it comes to conversations around generosity, money, stuff, time, energy. Some people have a lot of guilt and shame in their past. Some people have a lot of really weird negative experiences or some news channel of some, you know, just kind of corrupt dude, a pastor ran away with all the money and a secretary. There's all kinds of weird money and stuff conversations in the church. I just want you to know that's not happening here. As we dig into this series, it's way bigger than just your wallets, but it does include that because Jesus is very interested in our hearts. And so I'm really excited to dig in. But before we get there, we've done a ton of work over the last year pressing into what it means to be followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is really helpful for you to chew on and consider. You can go back and catch on our podcast, our YouTube channel, a lot of the work we've done over the year of what does it mean to follow Jesus. Jesus. And we broke it down into three different categories. It means to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. To apprentice under Jesus, to follow Jesus, means first to be with Jesus. And then as we're being with Jesus, we become like Jesus. We're asking this question all year. Who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? When we look up a year from now, six years from now, who am I becoming? And then ultimately, that you and I are living lives that reflect and model Jesus. And so as we transition out of the summer and into the fall, for the parents in the room, you survived the first week of school. And it was nuts. Well done. I'm so proud of you for being here. My kids are exhausted from this last week, and they only went to school like two days. So I'm exhausted too, and I didn't even go to school. But here we are, and you made it, and I'm glad that you're here. But as we transition out of summer and into the fall, if you're new or newish to City Church, I just want you to know, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You need to hear this over and over again. We say it all the time. Before we want, we, we want anything from you, it's what we want for you. And we mean that with everything that we can muster. If you're a team member here, if you call this place home, then, man, we love you. We're grateful for you, and we're, we're grateful for your investment. And it's, it's been a ride over the last 
year. And, and so just the invitation today is that if you're in this, if this is like home and this is family and you want to get in for the ride of all that God is d- doing in and through this community, if you're ready to follow Jesus and practice his way and labor and pray alongside God with his mission of, of building his kingdom and boulder the West in the world, I want to encourage you as we lean into this transition, take advantage of the natural reset that the fall rhythm gives you. We're coming off of summer, going into the fall. Already the weather is messing up my pool parties, right? Like it's, it's chilly and cold, and so hot tubs are the only option today. But as we transition, there's a natural rhythm in all of our routines that you and I have the opportunity to take advantage of, to give yourself to God intimately and daily, to give yourself to his family in large and small gatherings. By the way, as Maddie was talking about city groups in that video, our fall semester kicks off in a few weeks. Yeah, woo, one woo. Somebody's excited. <laughs> I want to encourage you to give yourself to God and his work in and through you and his family, this local expression of his kingdom called City Church. Our mission is to help people find their way to God from where they are. Today, we have the privilege of kind of accelerating one of our values. And if you've gone through growth track, you're familiar with this, but this is a really good reminder. If you haven't, you're invited to go through growth track. But our values answer the why behind the what. Our our values remind us of who we are, not just what we do as a church, but who are we as a church. They kind of function as, as guardrails, if you will, to make sure we stay kind of in alignment with who God has called us to be as a church. But in addition, they are also aspirational, meaning when we say we're a radically generous church, hopefully you, you've experienced that in a lot of different ways. In the simple versions, like the cookies that change your life in the lobby, and really good cold brew that's better than any coffee shop in town, And as big as service projects in our community and pouring resources into Boulder, the West, and the world and planting churches in Denver and in Chicago, and we have all of these different expressions of generosity, but they're also aspirational, meaning we're not as generous as we could be yet. There's always room for improvement. And so let me just remind you of who we are when it comes to radical generosity. You guys ready? Bam, here we go. Generosity is about giving more than what is required. We see generosity as a privilege, not an obligation. You guys got that? A privilege, not, you guys excited about talking about this today? I'm excited. It's going to be great. Three of us are excited. We joyfully choose to be generous with our time, gifts, and resources. Because God has given richly toward us, it's our honor to give back to him. We consider ourselves managers of this life, not owners. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. Here's the good news. This is already who you are. So this is not a a -a wag-a-finger conversation. The cool news about what God's doing in our church is you're already a radically generous church. And so today what I want to talk to you about is becoming people of generosity. Again, becoming, who, who are we becoming? Becoming people of generosity. And, and I know you want this because every time you've been around somebody who lives this like radically generous lifestyle, they have a joy and a peace and a disposition that's a little bit annoying but kind of attractive, right? You're like, mm, I don't know if I want it because it's uncomfortable, but, I, but it's, it's pretty awesome. And so what I want to encourage us with is maybe we're not just becoming people of generosity, but maybe for some of you, you're becoming people of increasing generosity. And so let me tell you where we're going over the next five weeks in this series. Today, I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot kind of 
theological view of Jesus and money and stuff in the heart, okay? So this is really, really important. I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, what you've learned about it. Some of you, uh, you know, have, have an understanding of finances because somebody told you that, but you don't really know why you do that or you never thought about the whys. Some of you have been told what to do and you've never been told why to do it and so it just rubs you the wrong way. Some of you have a little bit of church hurt going on or some bad background and baggage and so we're gonna work through all of that together today. Next week, we're going to do a practical dig into the the bigger picture of generosity and the practice of simplicity as Jesus followers. And so you you got to tune in for two weeks with me, okay? You're not going to be too mad at me today, I promise. But next week, it'll be really, really, really helpful. On Labor Day weekend, we have our friends, well, just friend, singular, but um, Chris, his wife will not be here. Chris and another Sarah, different Sarah. uh, Chris and Sarah Griffith are our new church planters in Chicago planting Rhythm Church, and they're gonna be here Labor Day weekend. He's got a layover. I'm gonna pick him up from the airport, drive him here really fast. He's gonna share with you guys all that God's doing in Chicago. And again, this is another new church plant that we are partnering with to help plant in the Chicago area, and so you're gonna get to hear from. It's kind of cool. We're in the middle of a generosity series, and you get to see some tangible, tangible expressions of how we're pouring out resources outside of ourselves. That's cool, yeah? Super awesome. Okay, and then after that, September 11th is what we call Serve Sunday. Who's pumped for Serve Sunday? (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know what it is, but it sounds great. All right, this is a day, and again, this is an expression. This is not an accident. By the way, I plan like through prayer, the calendar year and the topics of what we're doing, like over a year out. And so this is not an agenda-driven conversation. This is intentional spiritual formation for our church in this season. And Serve Sunday is right in the middle of our generosity series. Ta-da! Because it's an expression of generosity in our city. And so this is a day we cancel all of our services. We gather together as the church and we serve our city from nine to noon in some radically generous ways. We've got tons of projects happening at Crestview Elementary down the street. We're going to be handing out cold brew coffee downtown. We've got all these gift bags we're putting together for the fact and staff at Crestview and a bunch of other projects that we're going to collectively invite you into. The sign-ups for this will start next week, but we want you to mark your calendar September 11th. We will be gathering as the church, but we're going to be serving that day nine to noon together. Your kids are invited into that space to serve alongside you, and then at the end, we're going to party and cook out and celebrate all that God did that day. That's pretty cool, yeah? Awesome. Okay, and then last but not least, Bryson and Sarah will be back on September 18th to actually share that day a little more. I gave him three minutes today. That's all he got, okay? And uh, I want to give him some more time. And uh, so they're going to come back on the 18th and share with you. And here's what's really cool. Myself and a few of your very own family members here at City Church are going to be across the world engaging in some, some brand new foreign mission relationships that we're partnering with because of your radical generosity. For the very first time, I can't say it publicly online because we're working in some areas that are restricted, but our church is engaging around the world, not just in, in Denver even, but in missional engagement, planting churches, feeding centers, all of that. And so myself and four others are going to be somewhere else (laughs) during that day. And so all because of your radical generosity, we get to do some of these things, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So can you put your hands together for your radical generosity? Because without you, we wouldn't be where we are today. Now, after this generosity series, we're going to do our fall formation series on the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be an incredible 13 weeks where we press in together and grow in a really, really healthy way. But a quick disclaimer before we get into the conversation today. Sometimes when pastors talk about money, it gets a little weird. There's like this little emotional trigger for some people. You're like, and I just want you to know, hey, listen, it's what we want for you, not what we want from you. It seems that through felt experience, the, 
this is just my observation, the Western church has done a poor job historically about talking about money and stuff, either because it was just a totally absent conversation, it was always a needs-based conversation in response to, oh, hey, we need to fill a gap or pay for this or whatever, raise a project. It was maybe telling people what to do, but never giving the why and the motive behind it. Obviously, the abuse in the church is no secret around money, and that's a problem for a lot of people. And so I just want you to understand our heart here today. The series is way bigger than money, but we don't ever want to lead out of need here at City Church. We always want to lead out of vision. So the goal today is I don't need anything from you. You're already an incredibly generous church and I just want to celebrate you. But I also want you to catch a vision for what Jesus calls the good life. And Jesus is amazing at getting to our hearts. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I hope you can hear some of God's heart for you today. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room and you've got some, you know, you've been burned by the church or you've got, you know, guilt and shame as motivators around money or, or, or maybe pride or whatever the things are for you, I just want you to know, man, you're in a safe place today. And we're going to open the scriptures and we're just going to see what Jesus has to say about money and stuff. You guys ready? I know you woke up for this. I know like, you thought about it this morning. You're like, you know what I want to hear about at church today? Money and stuff. So you're welcome. I just, you know, just delivering here. So Jesus is famous. If you're taking notes, you want to pull out. There's journals in front of you. There's Bibles in front of you. Jesus is famous for turning our vision of the good life on its head over and over again. Acts chapter 20, listen to Jesus here. It is more blessed or, or, or it's actually you're happier to give than to receive. How many of you guys believe that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You're like, ah, oh, obligation, hand raised. Yeah, try telling that to my six-year-old. <laughs> Mm, yeah, I share that toy, yeah. Okay, so here, here's what's interesting about when we hear things like this. Like, it, J- Jesus is literally saying, like, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. And some, some of you, I, I think we, we have experienced that. But I, ironically, the, we have this, like, disagreement with Jesus at a heart level sometimes, right? Like, trusting Jesus with money and stuff is hard. And in our minds, I think, we, we think generosity is probably the right thing to do but we don't always believe it's the smart thing to do. <laughs> You're like, how do I balance this dance and this conversation? Here's, here's the problem. The American dream has sold the idea that the good life is found in a couple of options. It's found in materialism, meaning you know, the accumulation and, and, and comfort as, as your highest good. The more stuff you have, the more money you have, the happier you are. So materialism is, is kind of one selling point of the, of the American dream. Or hedonism, which is, which is this idea, this belief system that says pleasure and experience are the highest good for human relationships. Your highest and best life is pleasure and experience. And so we live in a unique cultural context in Boulder, Colorado, where hedonism is probably a priority over materialism. I'll, I'll embrace simplicity and eat out at Tiaco every other night. <laughs> and then go party hard in the mountains, and go travel over here, and experiences and pleasure might take a precedence in my heart over the stuff in my garage, maybe. Or maybe you got a little bit of both if you're like me. We we have this lie in our culture that says more is better, more is better, and more of everything is better. The ironic thing for you and I is you and I live in a world where we have more of everything except for the things that matter most, like peace and healthy relationships, and joy. There's this book called The Paradox of Generosity that basically plays Jesus' words forward here. It says, hey, you know what? Stats are in. 
And neurological studies are actually showing that money cannot buy happiness. Shocker. (laughs) And Jesus was actually right that there is something neurologically that happens in my brain and in your brain. That when we actually give things away, it genuinely makes us happy. Richard Foster says that, that we're in this season in our culture of affluence and accumulation, that we're bordering the realm of psychotic pursuit, meaning our pursuit of money, stuff, experiences, and pleasure is bordering the line of being out of touch with reality. And so when Jesus shows up to you and I with a vision of the good life, a way of thinking, a way of seeing the world, that's one way that then our world is competing against at times, Not always bad things, right? Sometimes good things that are robbing us of God's best for us. And it's borderline psychotic. I mean, we we, we have these rhythms of life that are kind of out of touch with what's actually good for you and I. And so you might not know this, but Jesus spent a ton of time talking about money and stuff. Many are actually surprised to hear that roughly 25% of Jesus' teachings have to do with money and stuff at some level. Can you imagine if like every fourth week at City Church, it was a message on money and stuff, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about to get a like Jesus around here. No, we, we do it like once a year <laughs> around here. But Jesus had this rhythm, and you got to ask why. It's kind of interesting, right? Because Jesus is, you know, this kind of itinerant rabbi. He's not raising money for his local synagogue when he talks about money. He doesn't have like an associate rabbi to hire, <laughs> and he's trying to raise money for that. Jesus is incredibly interested in the human heart and then freedom and life associated with the way that we think about what we have. For Jesus, money is about so much more than money. So let's dig into Jesus' teaching. Now this is a conversation, a familiar phrase maybe you've heard before is this idea of tithing, and we're going to talk about that. Jesus talks about that in Luke 11, so let's go there on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can open that, or on your, on your phone, wherever you're at. But Jesus actually gives us a little bit of a teaching around generosity and tithing. It's kind of cool. Luke chapter 11, check this out. No one, Jesus is teaching to a crowd, and he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. This is the first century. Lamps were really expensive. And so this is just a ridiculous idea. To put a lamp under a basket is a total waste of resources. Instead, what do they do? They put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. And then Jesus pivots and he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. Anybody confused yet? I thought we were talking about lights and lamps, and now we're talking about eyeballs and lights. I'm confused. This is a first century figure of speech that is lost on our modern ears, but what Jesus is saying is that this healthy eye and and unhealthy eye conversation is is how they would talk about somebody having a worldview of generosity versus a worldview of scarcity. So if you had a healthy eye, if someone were to say that you you had a healthy eye, it would be a compliment. You, You see the world through a generous worldview. If you had an unhealthy eye, it, mean, it means that you carry kind of a scarcity mindset. So there's like this abundance mindset, this abundance worldview, this scarcity worldview. Abundance means that you see the world. Just I don't want you to think about your eye today. How do you see the world, your perception? Abundance means that you see, that you live in this world of more than enough. Like all of life is a gift. None of it is yours. God is the generous host. We live in his world and we have the privilege of not only enjoying but sharing with others. We, we have this 
this gratitude and generosity as a result of this worldview. That's a healthy eye. Uh, an unhealthy eye or, or this kind of mindset of scarcity is you look out on the world and all you see is brokenness and lack and you've got to fight to get what's yours. You've got to protect what's yours. You only can see what you don't have. You can only see the things that you're lacking and that you still want. There might be some issues of greed and a lack of contentment in the soul with an unhealthy eye. So when Jesus uses this figure of speech, immediately his audience understands. And check this out, verse 35. He says, see to it then that that light within you is not darkness. Jesus is giving us a warning. Hey guys, this conversation, your worldview of abundance or scarcity, the way that you live your life, it matters a lot. Pay attention to the way that you see the world. Some of you grew up in homes that taught you to see the world in a certain way that is counter what Jesus is inviting you into. And I just want to acknowledge these are hard things to dig out when they're deep-rooted and there's, there's fear and shame sourced in these spaces. They're hard. But Jesus has something better for us. Verse 36, look what he says. He says, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it's dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you and I can get our relationships with money and stuff right, it literally changes things from the inside out. Verse 37, he goes on. Uh, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. And so he went and reclined at the table. Jesus had this awesome habit of accepting free meals. And I'm trying to be like Jesus in case you're offering, okay? Verse 38, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. If you have little kids, this is not like a, hey, wash your hands. And this is not the excuse, like, Jesus didn't do it, mom, I don't have to. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. They had this whole religious ceremony of how to wash your hands before a meal, the direction of the water, the kind of water, the way you did the motions. I mean, it's this whole big deal in law as if God cares about the way that you wash your hands. And as Jesus shows up, we're going to see that Jesus is not very interested in how you wash your hands, but he's way more interested in the heart. So look what happens in verse 39. And then Jesus says to this Pharisee, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish. You look really good on the outside. You do a lot of really good religious stuff on the outside. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. By the way, this is, this is speaking to a morality, but also an intellect. Like, like, literally, they're missing it. They don't get it. They're not understanding God's plans and purposes. You, you foolish people, you don't get it. Did not the one who made the outside also make the inside? But now, as for what is inside of you, here's the command. Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. So this is, uh, this is my husky cup. Got it for my birthday. It's made out of husks, hence not huskies, not the dog, husks, like, anyway, like uh, coffee bean husks. And so the premise on this cup, thanks to Isaac and our dear friend Isaac leading worship today, crushed it today, right? Put your hands together for our band leading us. You guys are amazing. But the premise of the husky cup is uh, other coffee shops locally partner. And the idea is you can take your cup in and it can be dirty and you can drop it off and they're gonna give you a brand new, clean, sterilized cup, another Husky cup, and you can get a fresh cup of coffee and it's meant to reduce waste and all of those things and here we are in Boulder, right? And so that I'm just, I'm trying, all right? Um, I just want you to imagine that, you know, I go to my, my local coffee shop tomorrow and you know, you hope that they clean them, right? 
Like you really hope, but have you ever like looked in a cup and there's some leftovers? I'm really hoping that's not the case with this program, but we're going to give it a shot. I just want you to imagine I roll into to like boxcar this week and I, and I trade out my Husky cup and I get it and on the inside is like residue from like three-day-old matcha and cow's milk, like just, and then someone's lipstick still on the side, like, right? And I just want you to imagine they look at it, they top off my favorite pour over and hand it to me. And let's just say you didn't notice it first. And you take that first sip and then you see a floater, and then you put it, yep, you already kind of feeling sick to your stomach, yeah. And then you see the lipstick, you're like, that's not my lipstick, so, right, it makes you sick to your stomach, doesn't it? Jesus is building a really powerful world, word picture here. He says, man, th- there are people who are religious, who do all the right things on the outside, but the interior is just corrupt. They're missing the heart. So that thinking, feeling, desire piece down deep inside, it's crooked, it's gross. And the premise is, if, if you're not right on the inside, then that's not a place of, of, it's not good to give out of that place to others. And so Jesus is speaking to kind of that religious paradigm, and you're gonna see it in a second, but listen to Jesus' solution to an unhealthy eye. His solution is be generous. Literally, generosity is the change of heart that Jesus invites us into. He's saying, hey, it'll do something on the inside of you. It'll change things at a heart posture level. Watch verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees. I don't know how you, like when you read that, this is kind of like this, like a, like a guttural groan. Not like, whoa, like, whoa. Not, not like that. I don't even know. You know, no, no, not like that. I think it's like a, like a, like a burdened spirit. Like, woe to, like, just, man, you guys don't get it. Because you give God a tenth or a tithe, is that word, of, of your mint and your rue and all these other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Listen to Jesus. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. The Pharisees were so hyper-religious that they took the law and they take things like mint. This is right out of my garden. I don't really have a garden. It's right out of my side yard. <laughs> And it was, it's, a little, it's a little limp because my kid was playing with it, but they're, they're, they're so, they were so massively religious. And for them, it was a pride thing, right? On the outside, they're looking good. They, they're so stingy and so serious that I got 10 leaves here. God, that's every little stem in their mint garden. They're like, okay, God, well, right there. There's my 10th of my mint all the way down to the minutia. They are tithing, being generous, doing the religious thing. And Jesus is saying, you are missing it completely. And he's echoing the words. Listen to the words of Micah, chapter 6. This is what Jesus is pointing to. The question is, with what should we come before the Lord? This is an Old Testament prophet. And remember, agricultural society, so not dollar bills. But will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? The generosity of our money and stuff. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point of the tithing thing while tithing to the minutia. And what's amazing here is he doesn't hate on tithing. He doesn't condemn it. He says, you should have been doing both. You should be doing these things while not neglecting the other one. And so it's interesting. Jesus doesn't critique tithing here. He critiques that they're missing God's 
heart. And so you might ask the question, what does all this have to do with me and tithing and like, like what in the world are we talking about? There's this guy named Johann Pestalozzi. He's a Swiss re- reformer that came up with like three levels of, of how we change and how we learn as individuals. I'm gonna give them to you in a snapshot. You and I learn at three levels, our head, our heart, and our hands. You and I change at three levels, our head, our heart, and our hands. A vision for the good life gets into our hearts at a heart level that says, I want this, I desire this, I want to become that, and then it influences and shows up in the practice of how we live. Jesus is teaching at all three levels in this, pa- this passage. So, so for example, it's not enough to have information, but we have to want it, and from that space, we then have to practice it. It won't just happen by osmosis. If you want to run a marathon, you, you got to start training. You need a coach. You can't just sit on your couch until the day of the marathon and hope to complete it. If you want to grow and become the person that is a loving person, a generous person, you're not just going to happen to be a generous and loving person overnight. You have to have a plan. You have to practice. Jesus is talking about all of these things in three levels. I'm going to give you the really quick snapshot and then we're gonna land the plane, okay? So buckle up, just real quick. Jesus' worldview, that healthy eye conversation, goes all the way back to that first book in your Bible, in Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus has this vision of the world. Over and over again, read it for yourself this week. Over and over again, it says, God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave. And we see this incredibly generous God pouring out into creation. He is this generous host and creating life for everyone to enjoy. That's the picture that Jesus has of the God that you and I are sitting under today and learning about. In Genesis 3, this figure called the serpent or the great deceiver or Satan shows up and says, God is not who he claims to be. You can't trust him or his motives. You need to make sure that you're trusting only yourself and you need to take power into your own hands to redefine good and evil. And so it's really interesting. You see a paradigm over and over again. Genesis 1 and 2, God gave, God gave, God gave. Genesis 3, Eve took. And we see a heart transition from gratefully receiving from God to greedily taking out of fear and control. In Genesis 4, fast forward to the first two sons, Cain and Abel of Adam and Eve, and we see the two heart postures, we see the two eyes play out in these two young men. We see this conversation of offering their first fruits, if you will. Again, agriculture, right off the top. The the idea of first fruits is they're giving the very best off the top, not their leftovers. This is actually where the the, the, theology of tithing comes from later on. But we see that this, like for, for Genesis 4, they would give the first fruits of their crops kind of out of gratitude to God and also a trust that he would continue to provide. And so to the best of my understanding, just, as, just to help you kind of frame it up, it's the difference of, of you and I in our modern economy getting a paycheck, if you're doing the first fruits conversation in Genesis 4, and it's you and I giving right off the top an amount. So it could be ten, a tithe that stands for 10%, or it could be whatever percentage you settled in your heart, whatever. So we give off the top of that some other percentage out of gratitude and trust toward God that he will take care of our needs versus we get paid and we pay our mortgage and our rent and our car payment and our groceries and we eat out and we get that new outfit that we wanted and we you know, put aside that little bit of money for a remodel and then we see what we have left over. And it's not necessarily that we don't want to be generous 
but we're operating out of the leftovers and we just see if we have something left. That's the, that's the principle of the first fruits. You guys tracking with me? A little heady? You guys, you guys okay? All right, all right. We see this play out from Genesis throughout the Levitical law to where tithe becomes this mandated, codified idea. By the way, the tithe, there was like multiple tithes, so it wasn't like 10% of the income. It like was roughly 23% of their income was being given to multiple tithes, and it was codified with the idea that it would help the heart posture if we could just kind of settle this thing, give some away, and it's good for you. Spoiler, it doesn't work out. And we literally wrap up the entire narrative of the Old Testament with this idea of a squandered generosity and a selfish people. You guys with me on this? Yep. And, and so this is the theology of the Old Testament. This is the worldview that Jesus is operating with. We have this generous God and then a heart that's missing it from the people that are invited to trust in him. And then when Jesus gets on the scenes, John 3.16 is the classic example of, of, of this incredible picture of this generous God screaming to the world, for God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus' vision that he wants us to adopt is God is a father who is beyond generous, and we live under his roof, and there is more than enough for you and I to enjoy and to share with others. And Jesus is not this naive, hippy-dippy guy. You know, you look at the birds and look at the flowers. He understands the struggle in the world, but still in the middle of it, he looks around and sees a world of abundance. And he's inviting us to become those kinds of people. That you and I can actually live without fear and anxiety. That we can come to the place in our hearts that we can trust God, release the need for control, share what we have with our friends, and even our enemies. This is a beautiful picture, isn't it? If you and I can actually trust God's vision for the good life. So that head, heart, and head, that's the head piece, okay? The heart is a layer deeper that you want this. You want to become the kind of person that Jesus is inviting you to become. And the hands is when we begin to practice what Jesus is inviting us into. Not, not, not a guilt trip, not spiritual pride, but a heart posture that overflows in generosity. If anything, if we learn anything from Luke chapter 11, Jesus is inviting us into more generosity, not less. It's, but, but again, it's not obligation, it's heart posture. And by the way, this is true of all spiritual disciplines, isn't it? Think about all the spiritual disciplines. When the heart is, is right, the hands follow. For example, I don't have to spend time with God daily in the scriptures and in prayer. I get to. I don't have to gather as the church in large and small groups. I get to. I don't have to give 10% of my income to the local church and more than that outside of it. I get to. I don't have to live life in community. I get to. I don't have to serve. I get to. I don't have to live on mission where I live, work, and play. I get to. You guys see it? It's the heart posture that Jesus is after. And so it's so easy. I don't want you to miss it. It's so easy to show up, to do the religious thing, and to forget why you do it. And I don't want that for you, and neither does Jesus. You got to ask the question with me today. Who am I becoming? All the practices of Jesus are a means to an end. You're not earning God's favor or his love. You are becoming like Jesus.
So for Jesus in this setting, the best I can understand it, tithing is a practice in which we move our hearts away from fear and greed, away from discontent and injustice, and we we move toward a life without lack. This is how we cultivate a life of love and freedom and joy and generosity. And so here's the question I want to land with today. Is tithing for for today? This is a big question. And the answer is, it depends on who you ask. (laughs) Some traditions would say, yeah, play it forward. Jesus affirms it. There you go. Some would argue, well, this is the only place in the New Testament that we even see the word tithing, and so then there's an argument from silence. Is it, and it was for the temple, and now we have the church, and the church is the new temple, and right, we could go circles on this all day. So what does it mean for us in generosity? By the way, today is part one of two, and so I'm talking a little bit about your 10%, but we, we would be amiss, and I think the church has missed it for a long, long time to act like God only cares about your 10% and the other 90 doesn't matter. So for what it's worth, next week we're digging in to some really practical ways to change the way that we live. Here's what's very clear in the scriptures in the New Testament. It's very clear that we're to give to the poor. It's very clear that we're to give to our leaders and our pastors of the local church. And it's very clear that we are to live generously. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. This is actually what Bryson is going to be teaching on in a couple weeks. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That what you invest, you get back out. Each of you should give what you have decided, listen, in your heart. Not obligation, not shame, invitation. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, like some of you have been taught in the past, because God loves a cheerful giver. And listen to this. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every comfort and pleasure and experience you want. It's not what it says, is it? Look at the purpose of God's provision and goodness in our lives so that you will abound in every good work. That we are called to be rivers of God's love and generosity, not reservoirs. You guys see it? If everything I've said so far sounds absolutely insane to you, I totally get it. Because this is an invitation to trust Jesus and his vision for the good life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if God is not this good father that you can trust in, if you don't have the security of that in your heart, then this is insane. But if Jesus is who he said he is, if he can do in our lives what he said he would do, then this is a no-brainer to start somewhere. So again, who's right? I'm inclined to think that tithing is the floor, not the ceiling in this conversation, that Jesus calls us to way more generosity than what was in the law. My family has, with total privilege and generosity, given, since we were the only givers in City Church, more than 10% of our income every month without blinking an eye. I learned to start giving a little bit in this space. I learned to tithe when I was 16 years old. I became a Jesus follower. I was mowing lawns. I make 20 bucks and I bring two to my youth group. Get a giving statement at the end of the year for like $22. Tax write-off. Even though I didn't claim my lawn money, but you know. And I remember being taught, hey, listen, everything you have is from God. It's a gift. And, And I remember my mentor telling me this, hey, 
God can do more with your 90% than you can do with 100. And to this day, guys, we have given in abundant seasons and in tight seasons, and never once have I regretted it. A couple of things to chew on just for a second. Danielle and I don't feel this is an obligation, and we don't want you to either. We want you to understand the invitation. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We invest here because we want our hearts here. We invest here because we know this connects us to Boulder, the West, and the world, to families like Bryson, and to people in Chicago, and people all over in Thailand and the rest of the world. We want to invest here because we want our hearts in the work of what God is doing. So as we wrap it up, and you're just wrestling with all that we've talked about, I just want to invite you to process God's heart in this conversation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this conversation is not for you. Jesus wants our hearts. Our money and stuff is connected to that, but it starts in that space. So let me, let me give you just one thing to, to wrestle with as we close our time. This is the words of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. This is the Old Testament again, having a conversation, and, and God says, is, will a mortal rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And they said, how are we robbing you, God? He says, in your tithes and your offerings. They were neglecting it. They weren't being generous. Bring the whole tithe, here's the invitation, into the storehouse, that there may, might be food in my house. This is the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. Listen, there's a lot of abuse around this passage. This is not a name it and claim it. You give five, God gives you 50. None of that junk. <laughs> no way. I think this is an invitation from the heart of God. He says, hey, would you test my vision of reality? Would you just try it? Try generosity. See if I'm right. For some of you, it's trying to tithe for the first time, 10% of your income. Or if, you, if you're like, man, I, that's just too much. I can't do it. Start where you are. Here's my only consideration is just consider a generosity that makes you pivot your lifestyle even if just a little bit. And again, the first fruit, not the leftovers, not kind of seeing what we have left over to give to God. And here's the invitation. I think just try it. Test me. Try it for six months. Reorient your budget and just test God. And see if at the end of six months, are you more stressed, anxious, or blessed and joyful? Wealth is a, a relative conversation here, okay? It's different for different places and times and peoples, dynamics, and I don't pretend to know your situation. Here's the invitation. I don't, I don't have all this figured out, but I trust Jesus and his invitation into this vision for the good life. There's tons of grace and tons of love here for you. We're here to resource you. You can send me all the angry emails you want. You can send me questions. We are here to serve and walk alongside you. Here's the good news. You're already a generous church. And so it's my privilege to help you catch Jesus' vision, to grow in a healthy eye so we can keep planting churches, so we can keep making disciples, so we can keep making a difference in Boulder, the West, and the world. It's because of you letting God work in and through you that we can be in this space. So thank you for that. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the space that we're in, 
of just gathering together as your people. Jesus, thank you for your words that that you are so clear when it comes to your priority of our hearts. Think that you understand that they're connected and that you love us enough to go there. That you constantly are flipping our vision for the good life on its head. And I pray, God, that we are catching it. Many in the room are already walking, living testimonies of this very real reality. God, would you use them and their stories to encourage others that are struggling to trust God in this area? God, would you give us wisdom as a church to continue to pour out generously into our city and to the West and to the world? God, we want to manage what you've given us well as a church. God, we also want to manage our own lives and households well. This is your world. We live in it. You're a good father and you're a provider. And we want to have hearts of of gratitude and lives of generosity. God, any fears, any anxieties, any guilt, any shame, any pride around these conversations, I pray those move to the side so that we can catch your heart. What's on your heart, we get on our heart. And God, I pray that what, what you do in and through us would build your kingdom here in Boulder, the West, and the world. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the one that gave your life. We're generous because you are generous. God, thank you so much for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.